turn in your Bibles to Galatians. Galatians chapter 5. Now we're coming to the end of Galatians. We've been going through Galatians since chapter 1, since I got here uh, a little over a year ago, and uh, we're kind of winding down. We're coming down to chapter 6, and um, there's a, you know, quite a bit left in the, in the book itself or the letter itself, but I'm very excited for this new coming year. For me, my fiscal time clock in my, in my mind, is January. You know, different places do it at different times of the year, uh, you know, where they start it maybe in um, August or April or whatever, and then they go a year from that. For me, um, I'm thinking it's January, and I'm excited to unleash a new theme with a new book, with a new focus. This has been great for this year. Looking up, loving Christ, looking in, loving the church, and looking out, loving the community. I will say, I'm, I was just super impressed with our trunk or treat, uh, and how we were engaging in the community and all the participation. Just because we change slides and change themes doesn't mean we needed to change our approach to loving God, loving each other, and then loving the community. So, but I'm not going to tell you what it is, but there's a lot of things that I have uh, in mind and in store, and I'm just looking, to, looking forward to what God's going to do with this new theme. That's one of my most passionate things. It's what keeps me going. It's what, and I thought, and I was praying, I said, Lord, I just, be thou my vision, give me vision. I really want to help the people. I want to really impact the community. And if I were to die sometime soon, I really want this to be the thing that I go out with. I really want, I mean, this is just my heartbeat, and I need, I want to be able to communicate this, and um, I, I just want other people to just be as excited about it as I am, and so I'm looking forward to um, the guest speakers that we'll have, just the, just the approach that we'll have for this new coming year. Uh, I'm excited about that. Um, but if you're in Galatians, as we're finishing this book, not to say that, that I'm looking over the shoulder of Galatians to the next year, I want to be present and in the moment. So turn with me, if you would, to uh, Galatians chapter 5. So Galatians chapter 5. Last week, we talked about this. Verse 7, you did run well. Who hindered you in this run? Have you been hindered or helped along the way? And we talked about that last week. This persuasion doesn't come of him that called you, doesn't come from Christ. A little leaven, a little pinch of legalism can permeate and affect the whole lump. He says, I have confidence in you through the Lord. This is Galatians 5.10, that you will be not otherwise minded, that you'll be like-minded. But he that troubles you will bear his judgment, whoever he is, whoever she is. And I, brethren, if I preach circumcision or legalism, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then as the offense of the cross ceased, he's like saying, if I did go along with the popular preaching of legalism, then I wouldn't be persecuted. But instead he's preaching grace and he is being persecuted because grace will make you mad or grace will make you glad. And so he knows that truth. And he says, I wish that even they were cut off or, you know, self-mutilated. He's using this analogy that they would just not be able to infect or father any more children of Moses or legalism. And then he says this in verse 13, for brethren, he uses this term of endearment, like this, this kinship, you have been called unto liberty 
Only use not your liberty for an occasion to the flesh or selfishness or license, but use your, love, your liberty to love and serve one another. See, because our freedom is not just what we're free from. Oh, I'm free from the condemnation of the law. Oh, I'm free from this. I'm free from that. It's not what we're free from. It's to who we're free for. We are free now for the Lord to serve him and to serve others with no strings attached. I don't have to serve Christ to get my righteousness. I serve Christ because I've been made righteous. I don't need to serve God to get his acceptance. I serve God because I'm accepted already in the beloved. I don't need to do these things for something. I'm doing it from something. I'm doing it because of what Christ has done for me. And so liberty can be abused, but I want you to note something here. This entire book has been addressed to the problem of legalism. And there's one verse in six chapters that talks about, oh, by the way, don't abuse this liberty. Look at verse 1. Stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made you free and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. This has been a repeated theme over and over again. He uses analogies and, and metaphors and he uses all different kinds of illustrations as a great teacher to teach you. You're not under the bondage of the law. By the way, though, as the tendency of some might be, oh, because I'm not under the law, does that mean that I get to go do whatever I want and to live in license, right? Again, it's not that thinking is not uh, oh, I'm free to indulge in uh, sinful, carnal, fleshly appetites. That he's saying, by the way, that's not the that's not grace. That's disgrace. If that's your interpretation of grace, you don't understand grace because that's not what it looks like. It's not how it plays out. And then he says in verse 14, for the law is fulfilled in one word. Even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Title of the message. I didn't finish the verse. I, I noticed that after I printed it. I'm like, oh, I didn't finish it. One word. And look at that verse again. For the law is fulfilled in one word. There's 613 laws in the Old Covenant. But Jesus says, I'm giving you a commandment, love. Now Paul's saying to the Galatians, let's just reduce it. What's it called when you, it's a reduction when you take something in cooking? Let's, let's make a reduction. Let's just get it to its essence. What it's all about, love, right? It's all fulfilled in one word, and that's love. That you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I think we all do pretty good at loving ourselves. I got that covered in spades, right? I do pretty good with loving myself. <laughs> I brush my own teeth. I comb my own hair. Um, I what? Thank you. That wasn't a joke. Um, I trim my own beard. Uh, I put gas in my own car and my wife's too, but, um, I do a lot of things for myself. I'm doing pretty good with taking care of Neil. He says, how about with a little bit of that? Can you give at least 50% of the care that you give for yourself to your neighbor? That would be doing awesome, right? <laughs> but love others as you already self-love yourself we already have that going on but god has said 
He's put his love in us. The, uh, Romans 5.5, 5, I love. He says, For the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost that is given unto us. And later in this chapter, he's going to talk about the fruit of the Spirit, which starts with love, right? And the opposite, he's going to talk about the manifestation of the flesh. And there's in this book, there's icky flesh, and there's good-looking, self-righteous, legalistic flesh. And so he's going to address that. And verse 15 in our, in our chapter, Galatians chapter 5, verses 13, 14, and 15, and here's the last verse. Here's the contrast if we don't fulfill the law, which is loving others. He says, but if you don't, you will bite and devour one another, and beware lest you be consumed by one another. You ever been in a church where it's just been Christian cannibalism? Those aren't fun churches, right? <laughs> where people turn on one another. They start building cases against each other. They start harboring bitterness and unforgiveness towards each other. Just yesterday, someone was telling me a story. Um, I always love being the new. I've only done this twice. I've only been, been a pastor at three different churches. The one we started, and we were there for 14 years. The other one, uh, we, you were called out into, and then God sent us to this one. So when you show up at a church, sometimes you hear about the glory days. Oh, I remember back then, and I remember we did this and that. And I, you know, as a new guy, I'm like, okay, I love the glory days, but I'm looking forward to the, you know, the days, forgetting those things which are behind, looking forward. Not that the DNA is not important and the history is not important, but I'm looking forward. But sometimes you hear about the glory days, and sometimes you hear about the unglory days and the war story days. And I heard a war story yesterday where someone said, you know, someone um, used to come to Sunday school, and I'm not going to mention who these people are, but they don't come anymore because someone said something very cutting and biting, and that person has never been back. And I thought, yep, sounds like church. <laughs> it doesn't have to be that way, but any of us can default to those types of methods and the way we deal with people when we don't choose to walk in the Spirit. The fruit of Neil is the opposite of love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, kindness, meekness, faith, and temperance. The opposite uh, of, you know, walking um, in Christ is the manifestation of the flesh, which is biting and devouring and consuming one another. You know, sometimes in church, people get a little territorial also. You know, this is my zone, that's my zone, and if you step into that zone, they become little kings and gods of their own area, and then they get... They get biting and they get cannibalistic uh, towards, you know, stepping onto their turf. And so what God is trying to say is like, look, if you're not going to be a lover, you're going to be basically a consumer. You're going to consume one another. You're going to devour one another. You're going to hurt one another. You're going to bite one another. And that's not the way Christ intended for body life to take place. Amen? So these things are good and practical for us. He's basically, look, I'm just going verse by verse. I'm not trying to point anyone out. I'm just trying to point out that the God says that if we don't operate out of new covenant love, the commandment Jesus said, I'm giving you this one thing, love God and love others. If we don't do that, which is very simple, it's that one word. It's that one compelling motive. It's that one you know, uh, that, that's that one thing that he says, if this is going to be your hallmark and your identity, let it be love. 
And so when it's not love, then it will end up in consuming one another, devouring one another, being bitter towards one another, being, being unforgiving towards one another, being short and curt with one another, not Kirk, um, <laughs> being, uh, you know, just kind of rude towards one another, being like hostile towards one another, uh, being impatient and unkind and unmerciful towards one another. Sound familiar? Hey, does that sound like a church you want to join? Mm-hmm. Why are you guys saying, uh-huh? <laughs> Maybe it's like, a, yeah, amen, amen, preacher. You can do the hanky thing if you want. Mm-hmm. Don't want that church. Mm-mm. No way, no how. Um, so give me some feedback. If you, that's not the church that you want to be a part of, and that's not the church you want to be. I know that because the Holy Spirit in you is not going to lead you to those conclusions. So before we get into the message, you're like, before? Yeah, before we get into the message, let's pray, and I just have a few thoughts, a few passages I'd like for you to volunteer to turn to. If you don't, there's some that I'm just going to read, and you could just listen and take notes, and you could get my notes afterwards uh, if you want all the verses, because they're not going to be on the screen. But let's pray together, and then we'll look at some uh, cross-references to make this point that God's trying to say that this one thing is so important for us to be identified with. Heavenly Father... You are the teacher, you are the teaching, and I pray that you would do your ministry through your gift of the Holy Spirit that's been given to each and every one that's received you into their lives. Lord, for this group today, I pray that we would not be concerned about those who aren't here, but that you are so concerned with those who are here. And as we just take this short time out of our busy, busy lives to open your word, And to break some spiritual bread, I pray, Lord, that this fellowship, this koinonia that we experience would definitely be led of the Spirit and known uh, by you and of you and to us and through us and for us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, in, in January 6th in 1941, Franklin Delano Roosevelt said, uh, toward the winding down of World War II, He says there was four important paramount freedoms that he really wanted for the people of America and an extension of the people of the world. He said, number one, freedom of speech. That's very important. I'm exercising that freedom today. Number two, he said, freedom of worship. I'm exercising that. We're all exercising that today. Number three, he said, freedom from want. Um, That's a a big, tall order to fill. Number four, uh, freedom from fear, right? Freedom from fear. And God's not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. But I think there's a fifth freedom that could be put in there. There's a lot more that could be put in there. But I was just thinking, what about freedom from self? Freedom from self. Because, you know, my own worst enemy is not, in this case, the Nazis. It's not in our case, it's not the atheists, it's not the evolutionists, it's not, uh, uh, you know, those that are antagonistic. My own worst enemy is myself. I'm a self-sabotager. I don't know about you. But if I just slightly choose to not walk in the spirit, but to walk after the flesh, 
I fit the bill of this chapter where we'll get to it, where the manifestation of the flesh is going to be pretty ugly and not beneficial to you, even though I might think it's beneficial to me. So I need also freedom from self. And the only way that I could be free from my own worst enemy, which is myself, is to willingly choose to walk after the Spirit, and then I will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh, which we'll get to um, in, in just a few verses, in verses 16 through what to the end of the chapter. But we're not there yet. But I want to talk about this because there's basically three ways to live the Christian life. There's legalism, which is what the whole entire book is given to. And then he mentions this. There's license. Using your liberty as an occasion to the flesh. And then there's a third way. Living in your liberty. When rightly defined, is not liberty for license. It's liberty to be free from license, to be free from legalism, to be free, free in the truest sense to serve God and to serve others, to love God and to love others. I'm free to do that. I'm free to do that. I've been free from all those other things. I've been free from condemnation. I've been free from wrath. I've been free from being separated from God. I've been free from being anything um, uh, in, in uh, the penal code of breaking the law. I've been free from all of that. And I'm free to love you and to love God and to serve you and to serve because I'm not under construction anymore. I don't need to look inward. How am I doing? Like I'm pulling flower petals off. God loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. (laughs) And then you die and you think, am I going to go to heaven? I'm free from that. You ever had spiritual superstition like that? You ever been stuck in 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 a feeling, does God love me? I didn't read my Bible. I forgot to go to trunk or treat. Um, I didn't do the work day. Well, God probably doesn't love you if you didn't go to the work day. I'll get that one okay. You shouldn't. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm free from guilt. I'm free from uh, like guilt-driven preachers. I'm free from, <laughs> uh, look, you are God's always being loved child. And you don't have to superstitiously walk the earth and wonder if God loves you. Look, if you're a, if you're a slave, you ought to wonder. But if you're a son, you don't need to wonder. You're in the family, and he treats you like a child. And you know what rich kids do? You know, you ever been around a rich kid attitude? You ever been around a trust fund kid? You ever been around a kid that's just a millionaire? He didn't get any of it just because he's related to rich dad? You hate those kids, I know, right? Because they got an arrogance to them. I'm not saying that we got an arrogance, but there's a little bit of that to being a child of God you got everything by an inheritance and you didn't deserve it. You just got in the family. Why don't we walk around like we are related to the king and we're in the kingdom and we have everything because we have Christ? Amen. That's freedom. We're free because we're in Christ. Well, I want to look at some things. I want to help us in our freedom because the Bible does address an abuse of our freedom. And so I want to make it known to us. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Look at verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 8 through 9. And Kerry brought this up in Sunday school, which I thought Sunday school is an excellent lesson today. And he was talking about this a little bit in the beginning, talking about, um, you know, eating food, sacrifice to idols, and 
uh, you know, that it might cause someone to stumble. Well, he didn't know this, but I have these cross-references already built into the message today. Because this would be an abuse of your freedom. Even though you're free to eat or drink whatever, God's bigger issue is, okay, you're free to do that. You're not accepted or rejected based on what you eat or don't eat. It's not a, the kingdom of God is not of meat or drink, the Bible says. So he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 8, Food will not make us acceptable to God, for we are not inferior if we don't eat, and we are not better if we do eat. I love that verse. You know what that says to me? It goes bigger than food. What God is saying is, you're not more righteous, you're not more unrighteous, you're not more accepted, you're not more rejected. You are not one lick better based on what you put in your mouth or what you don't put in your mouth. Because you know what that helps me? Most religions are built on some sort of dietary laws and some sort of dietary restrictions. You could do this in this month. You can't eat this in that month. You could do this on that day, but you can't eat that on that day. You could eat that food, but not if it has this in it. Most religions have dietary laws built in it. So what God is telling me in this passage, he's saying it doesn't matter if you're religious or not religious, Jew or Gentile, circumcised or not circumcised, you're not even better or worse. What matters is uh, our relatedness to Christ. But he says, be careful, verse 9, of this liberty of yours in no way becomes a stumbling block to the weak. This is going to be interesting because usually the weak are depicted with the ones with the most rules. Why? Because rules don't take faith. It takes flesh to pull off the rules. And if you pull off the rules, you're thinking that you're doing good in order to get God's approval. And he's saying, you're free. You already know your acceptance is based on what Christ has done for you, not what you have done for Christ. You're free. You know that you're not better or worse by what you do or don't do. But be careful of this freedom doesn't become a stumbling block to those that are weak. Why? Because they're still trying to work this out. Drop down to verse 13. Therefore, if food causes your brother to fall or to stumble, I will never again eat meat so that I won't cause my brother to fall. Why? Because that's love. Love isn't like grace in your face. I'm free. I could do whatever I want. You deal with it. That's grace in your face. That's, that's, that's immature, and that's also disgraceful. That's not what grace would do. That's not what God would do. That's not the attitude of Jesus. And so what Paul's saying is the bigger picture is if I'd rather win my brother or my sister to the extent of my liberties. I will, I will sideline my liberty to eat if I know that it's going to be a problem for you to receive the gospel or to hear the message of Christ. So he's looking at the big picture. Just, you could turn there, but I'm just going to say this really quick. Where we're really going to turn is Romans 14, because there's a large section of Scripture. But one verse out of Peter I want to read. 1 Peter 2.16, if you're making note. He says, well, you're free as free, but do not use your liberty as an occasion to the flesh, but as servants of God. So the Bible does counterbalance this idea of there's three ways to live the Christian life. You could live it in legalism. You could live it in license. You know, it's like if you think about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you could live, you know, on the good side of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the tree of death, or you could live on the evil side of the tree of death. It doesn't matter. It's still the tree of death. It's still a dying way to live. There's no life in it. But if you live, there's a third way to live. You could live out of the life of Christ. 
That's the Spirit. And it doesn't look licentious, and it doesn't look legalistic. It looks like the Lord. Amen? That's the way God intended us to live the Christian life. Because the Christian life is not the Christian living for Jesus. The Christian life is Christ living through the Christian. And what does Jesus look like? Selfish? Does he look lustful? Does he steal? Does he kill? Does he use the Lord's name? I mean, does he disregard the things of God? How does Jesus look living in and through you? Does he cause stumbling blocks to people? So turn with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 14. We'll continue this idea of not using our liberty as a problematic stumbling block for someone else, either to come to Christ or to live in Christ. Look at Romans chapter 14, verse number 1. Romans chapter 14, verse number 1. Now I'm reading out of the the old King James, and so I'm going to change some of the words as I go along, just like the, the pronouns and stuff, the yees and these and thous. Um, so just, you know, bear with me as I, as I try to update some of it on the fly. But you'll get the idea if you're following along in your own uh, Bible there. Him that is weak in the faith receive, but not to doubtful disputations. For one believes they have faith that they may eat all things. Another who is weak eats only herbs. You see where the weakness comes from? It's the one that has the most rules about how to live their life and get their acceptance. So this one that has these dietary rules, they're, they're weaker in their faith, thinking that what they do or don't do is going to make them either better or worse with God. We already covered that in 1 Corinthians 8. He says this in verse 3. Let not him who eats despise the liberty to eat whatever, despise him that eats not, because there are grace Pharisees as well. This is kind of annoying to me. Some people, and I'll use this in air quotes, oh, they don't get it. You know, you might hear me preach long enough, um, and you're, some, I've heard this before, uh, two, three years down into preaching New Covenant, rightly dividing the word, Going to the old, but saying, hey, that was for our learning, but not for our living. Going to the new, saying, hey, this is the new covenant. It's better, better promises, better priest, better, uh, better sacrifices once and for all. You've got permanent forgiveness, new covenant, new covenant, new covenant. And sometimes people are like, oh, I get it. And then I've seen this. It's like, it's like Peter, James, and John. Jesus says, hey, let's go up to the mountaintop. They, they walk up to the mountaintop. Jesus shows them the light. They're like... He's the, light of the, he's the light of the world. And almost where Peter says, let's stay up here. Right? Let's just hang out up here. And, and then my interpretation of modern day people that get a little bit of the illumination, they become like Nolan Ryan and they start picking up rocks to those that are still at the bottom of the mountain. And they're like, guess what, suckers? You don't get what I get. I know who Jesus is. You know, <laughs> He's turned the lights on and... I'm not just talking about people bragging about their salvation. I'm talking about people bragging about their Christian life. They thought they've arrived. And, but Jesus says it's not just about going from the bottom of the mountain. That's information. Going to the top of the mountain, that's illumination. He says it's about going back down the mountain to where the people are. That's transformation. And that's not in a rock-throwing, you know, elevated, lofty, superior, holier-than-thou uh, posture. And so he's, he's saying here, Verse 3, don't let him that's free in his dietary stuff 
despise those that don't. I remember being raised in like a Christian persuasion. I got saved later on in life in my 20s, but in my Christian experience, you know, um, certain things being a huge issue. Huge issue. I was just reading a commentary where the guy, uh, this funny, his take on this, he said, um, this dear woman who was a great Bible teacher in the church evidently came up to the senior pastor and said, I just want to say something. I noticed so-and-so in church is wearing a lot of makeup. Do you think they're really a Christian? And this particular commentator's view was like the person that's wearing the makeup needs to put on a little bit more makeup because it's not really helping. I guess she was really elderly and, and he's like... <laughs> The poor saint, she needed a lot of help, and the makeup that she wasn't, was wearing wasn't even helping. But he was making the point that whether you wear makeup or don't wear makeup, that doesn't make up your Christianity, right? <laughs> and that's kind of the point. People kind of get outside of the lane, and they, and they start to think, like, who doesn't? Who? So if you're in a religious persuasion where it's an anti-makeup church, and that's what you think is, is determined on God's acceptance, what are you going to think when someone walks in with makeup? Right? You become a judger. And what God is trying to say is, like, don't despise those that are in their walk with Christ. They think that eating and abstaining from certain foods makes them better or worse if they do eat it. And he's like, look, you have liberty. Just don't abuse it. Don't put it like grace in your face or become a grace Pharisee where I know who Jesus is and you, I got freedom and you don't and throw rocks at people that don't understand that. So he says, verse 4, Or who are you to judge another man's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Uh, you shall be holding up for God is able to make him stand. Basically, we're all accountable to the Lord. Uh, who are you to get in between them and the Lord? They have their own thing going on with God. Verse 5, I love this verse. One man esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let everyone be fully persuaded in their own mind. Boom. Okay, this one holiday is your holiday of holidays. Okay, cool. You do that under the Lord. But when you start making it my holiday and my day of sanctification and my day of reverence and my day of rest and my day of this to the Lord, you've crossed the line. Because you're doing it under the Lord. I'm not observing that day under the Lord. And he says, let everyone be fully persuaded in their own mind. So you have individual soul liberty to regard whatever day you want. He that regards the day, verse 6, regards it unto the Lord. And he that regards it not, not the day uh, to the Lord, he does not regard it. He that eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. And he that eats not to the Lord, he eats not and gives God thanks. Do you see the liberty there? Do you see the freedom that God's given? There's a lot of lateral movement in this passage to where you could just be the free, authentic expression of Christ that he's working in and through you to be. And let's just throw down our rocks, right? <laughs> and stop judging one another. Stop biting and devouring one another. Stop consuming one another. Stop measuring ourselves amongst ourselves and comparing ourselves amongst ourselves because they that do such things, the Bible says, is not wise. And so uh, we do these things as unto the Lord. Verse 7, For none of us lives unto himself, and no man dies unto himself. Whether we live, we live unto the Lord. Whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. 
For to this end Christ both died and rose and rose again, that he might be Lord of both the living and the dead. He is the Lord. But, but why do you judge your brother? Or why do you set to nothing your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ to reveal your motives. Why did you do what you did anyways? Why was it you did that? Verse 11, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us will give an account himself to God. Why are we doing what we're doing? With what motive? With what filter? With what resource? What was the source of why we did what we did? If it's the Spirit, then the fruit of that will be obvious. It will be the love, the joy, the peace, the gentleness, the goodness. But then he says in verse 13, but judge this rather that no man puts a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. Verse 14, I know and I'm persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean in of itself, but to him that esteems it anything unclean, to him it's unclean. But if your brother be grieved with your food, how, how, how do you walk in love? Don't destroy your brother or your sister with your food, or in this case, your liberty, because you know you're not better or worse by what you eat or don't eat, right? It's not what goes in a man that defiles a man. Jesus covered that. He says, let not your good be evil spoken of. Um, look at verse 21. It is good neither to eat flesh nor to drink wine or anything whereby your, your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. There's a good verse. You know, um, look, you, you want a glass of oinos? Don't drink it before your brother if they're going to stumble. Verse 22, you have faith, have it to yourself before God. Happy is he or she that condemns not themselves in the thing which they allow. Now, you could abuse this freedom. This doesn't mean go out and, and be drunk or go out and pillage and rape and to steal and to, you know, hey, I'm free. I'm just not going to do it as a stumbling block. No, you're free under the Lord. You might not be under the law of Moses, but you're under the law of the Lord, the law of the spirit of life, which will lead you to things that glorify God. So that is that. So I want to read to you, going back to Galatians 5, I want to read to you our text verse out of the message. I, this is a paraphrased version, but he says this. Galatians 5, where we started, verse 14. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even this, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 13, I don't know why I went backwards. He says, it's absolutely clear that God has called you to a free life. Just make sure that you don't use this freedom as an excuse to do whatever you want and to destroy your freedom. Rather, use your freedom to serve one another in love. And that's how freedom grows. So next I want to talk to you about this. Uh, he says, the, uh, let's see, for all, verse 14, for all the laws fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor. Now I'm going to rattle off some verses, but we're also, if you have your finger still in Romans 14, back up to Romans 13. We're going to be there for a few verses. But let me just read some other verses connected to this idea. All the laws summarized in this, love. Matthew twenty-two forty, love God and love others. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets, Jesus said. 
John 13, 34, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I've loved you, that you love one another. John 15, 12 and 17, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. That's the caveat, as I have loved you. And when you, re- when you are a recipient of Jesus' love, as I've loved you, were you deserving of his love? Did you initiate it? Did you do something good to get it? Or did you receive it in grace? You know, when, when you understand how God loves you, and I know you do, I'm not speaking down in any ways, but I'm kind of more speaking to myself. When you stop and realize that Jesus would even love me, hold up. <laughs> that doesn't make sense. Jesus really does love me. It's really hard to believe this because we were so conditioned and culturized and we're, we're, we're so unaccustomed to be receivers of agape, unconditional love. We always have a fine, fine print. We always, what's the catch? I'm so suspicious. I'm sketchy about everything. I'm like, what do you really mean? If, anymore, I get a phone call and I'm like, huh, yeah, what's this all about, right? <laughs> Voicemail, and then I'll scan and I'm like, huh. Um, I just have a hard time, you know, understanding God's, uh, but he says to know the love of God, which passes knowledge. It's the best thing to rest in. It's the best thing to be immersed in. It's the best thing to spend the rest of your theological studies in and not to just make it academic, but to make it experiential so that you could receive it and then be free to release it right? It's one thing to get it. It's another thing to then say, I'm free to give it. I could give it. I could give it. And that's, I think, where the joy comes. But if you're all, if you're still trying to, he loves me, he loves me, not he loves me. If you're still trying to get it. Do you think you're going to be able to give it if you're busy trying to get it? No, I don't think so. Because you're, remember I said the fifth freedom we need is to be free from ourselves. Because if I'm always inward, like, I don't know. Do I deserve it? Can it? What more do I need to do, God, to make you prove to me that you really do love me? Is it this? Is it that? If you're still trying to jump through all the religious hoop that you maybe made up, or all cut through all the relig- religious tape that maybe you erected as your obstacle course to get to God, right? I had a huge obstacle course to get to God. But once you realize the veil's rent, the access is granted, you're seated and you're saved, and you're safe, and you're secure, you could get up and be like, oh, wow, now I get, a, I get a look for ways to give out this love, rather than look for ways to get this love, right? Because if you're always looking for ways to get it, you're so preoccupied. You're not going to be a giver. You're just going to be looking for a way to get. And so God wants us to be free from ourselves in the sense that you've got everything. Now go out and be a giver. If not, you're going to be a consumer. You're going to just bite and devour, bite and devour, bite and devour. That's why I harp on this stuff because um, these are, this is that one singular important thing God wants us to know. He wants us to experience. He wants us to walk in. So um, John, 1 John chapter 3, verse 23, and this is his commandment that we should believe on the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another as he gave commandment. 1 John 4, 21, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Kind of a common theme. If it was one verse, I'd be concerned, but it's multiple verses, so I, okay, I'm, I get it, Jesus. 
Here's what you want us to do. Second John, there's only one chapter, but verse 5 and 6. And now I beseech you, lady. He's writing to the elect lady he's, uh, that was prominent in that uh, particular area of ministry. Not as though I write, write unto you a new commandment, but that which you have heard from the beginning, that we love one another. By this shall all people know that you are my disciples, by your love which you have one towards another. So Romans chapter 13. We were in Romans 14. We read the chapter. Go a chapter before Romans chapter 13 and look, verse, look at verse number 8. Verse 8 says, Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loves another has fulfilled the law. Same thing, saying the same thing. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not lie or bear false witness, thou shalt not covet, lust what other people have, and want it for yourselves, and hate that they have it. But if there be any other commandment, he doesn't even list all of them. He says, if there's any that I forgot, it's briefly comprehended, it's summed up in this saying, and it's this, that you love your neighbor as yourself. Why? Verse 10, love doesn't work any ill, any malice, or any bad intentions to another. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Look, I wouldn't need to follow a list externally. Don't do this, but do this to them. Do this and don't do that to them. Don't do that. Avoid this. Or do. I wouldn't need to follow that externally if God put it all internally. And now I'm following Jesus, the risen one, the ruler himself. And when I yield to his spirit, guess what manifests in my life? I'm not going to lie to you, Carrie. Not because I'm following a rule, right? Because I love you. You're my brother. I honor you. I respect you. And that's not what Jesus, that's not his life through me. That's so uncharacteristic of Jesus in me to be a liar to you, right? And you could follow these things that he said. And the, the people that live by walking in the spirit, their life actually looks like they're keeping the law. It does. And they're not keeping the law, but they're following the one who wrote it to begin with. And his life living in us and through us looks like a righteous life that needs no rules written on rocks because it comes from a relationship. Look, the Bible or the law says if I beat my kids, I'll go to jail. That's the law, right? Is my only motive not to go to jail, therefore I don't beat my kids and provide for them and buy them stuff and take care of them and all that kind of stuff? Is my only motive the law? If my only motive is the law, maybe if I'm harboring bitterness and hatred and I just resent being a dad and they're just punk kids anyways, I'll do everything to the edge of that law so I won't break it to protect my own self, but I could care less about them. Do you see how religious people could be cold and calculating and just they'll keep the law but, it, but it's not with love, so they're just, I'm right. I'm not, they have, they're, you know, you hear about this in, in terrible relationships, you know. What? 
Yeah, I provide for him. I do this. I do that. Yeah, but wouldn't love not only say, I don't, I don't, you don't need a law to tell me that I don't have to beat my kids. I love my kids. Of course I'm going to provide for them. And not only that, I'm going to go the extra mile, the 200 miles, the 2,000 miles. I'm going to do this and do that. Why? Because love goes way further than the law. The law says only go a mile. Jesus is the second mile liver in you. Not an organ, right? Your liver's probably over here. I don't know. Um, But he wants to live life with you and through you. And his life looks like a giving second, third, fourth mile. He doesn't try to go up to just doing the bare minimum just to say that he did the right thing. He's going to go further and farther. And that's what grace and that's what freedom does. I'm free to go more miles. If you were just living under the law, you could only go one and call it a day. Right? Legalists, are, they're always trying to get out of stuff. They're looking for the loophole. Grace doesn't look for the loophole. The new covenant doesn't look, it looks righteous, it looks holy, it looks right, but it goes far because love does that. Look, love caused Jesus to leave heaven. That went pretty far. Right? So, the, the opposite of this would be, if you're back in Galatians chapter 5, The last verse we'll look at and then we'll be done. But if you don't, you will bite and devour one another. And beware, Christian, lest you be consumed by one another. We lived on a lake in Ohio. And I don't know if you guys know about Midwest places, but no one has fences, really. It's all like rolling hills and grass and everything's green because... I guess God turn, pays the water bill in those places that rain all the time. <laughs> I mean, it just rains all the time. You can't plan any outside activities because it could just thunderstorm and rain. So it's green and lush, and no one has fences. And so we lived, um, we had a St. Bernard, and Meatloaf was just free to run. He played with raccoons and uh, squirrels, and it just, you know, he ran out into the lake, and he smelled like a swamp dog. He just reeked. He just smelled so bad. But I loved Meatloaf. Um, but he wasn't a very good, like, intuitive protector type dog. So Meatloaf was playing with this dog next door, and it was a little tiny, like, furball dog, the kind that, like a football, you're a Poof. see ya. <laughs> Meatloaf's 220, more like a, you know, a linebacker or something, not the football. Um, <coughs> but this one dog would always come out and, like, nip at my ankles when I get into my truck, because there's no fences right? Everyone's just, so I'm getting in my, and I remember this dog came out, yip, 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 and Meatloaf's like, what are we, are we here to play? I'm like, Meatloaf, come on, like, read the room, dude, you know, take care of me, just eat him, he's like a little kibble snack for you, just chomp him. Well, he activated this pit bull who was friends with this little dog, right? So there's a little nippy dog, I'm like, get away, I'm just, I was doing that, like, because who wants to be bit by a little dog well even worse who wants to be bit by a pit bull this pit bull came up you want to see the scars he came up and and bit my leg there i've got like the the you know the big four you know the incisors and the other two he just took he, he didn't bite in and then rip flesh out he just bit punctured blood everywhere and then he bit and then left um i was like oh 
that was enough to make a Christian cuss, right? Uh, I didn't in the Lord, I don't think, I don't remember, but it hurt so bad. I was bleeding and I was running inside um, to get, I didn't know what to do. Um, you know, how do you treat a dog wound? Are their mouths cleaner than humans? That's, I'm not going on that rumor. I'm like hydrogen peroxide and alcohol, uh, rubbing alcohol, and I'm just trying to uh, calm the blood down and everything like that. Well, I'm glad he bit me rather than my kids, because that would have been another story. Uh, but this connotation in this passage is saying, without love, people will turn on each other and they'll start to bite and devour. And I think what this dog was doing, I'm not like I'm getting in the psychology of dogs, but I think he's being protective. I think he was being fearful. I think he was running on like carnal instinct, you know, whatever that breed does. But needless to say, I paid for it, right? It hurt. That was a physical wound. I think when people are territorial, they're, they're running off of fear, the fear of change, the fear of what ifs, the fear of this, the fear of that. You could start to get your eyes off of Christ onto circumstances. You don't like the circumstances. It starts with gossip, whispering, building a case, resentment, harboring bitterness. Um, I, I read a verse the other day, and I, I or, no, it was today, um, and I thought, man, that is so, I never saw it before like that, but failing the grace of God, um, let me try to find this. It's in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. Yeah, Hebrews 12, 15, looking diligently lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest there be any root of bitterness springing up and troubles you, and thereby many are defiled. I always thought of the root of bitterness. I went to that verse about the root of bitterness, root of bitterness, root, and then I'd say, like, if you're bitter, then it'll, you know, it'll affect you, and then it'll start affecting other people. I never till today caught the first part of the verse, which says, if anyone fails of the grace of God. You know what that is? And, and Galatians says that, um, falling from grace. He's not talking about losing your salvation there's a way God wants us to live out our new covenant life in Christ. And it's not guilt and law and legalism or license. It's by the grace of God, which is God's divine energy and resource. It's his batteries that he gave us when we got saved. And when we operate from that operating system, it's a loving, gracious, kind, compassionate, forgiving, not bitter life. But if we fail the grace of God, guess what? Biting, devouring, bitterness, roots take hold, and cases are built, and ill intentions are thought, and we think wrongly of people, and we, we don't give them the benefit of the doubt anymore, right? Now, somehow, they're the villain, and it starts it's in families, and then it comes from the family home to the church home, and do you think that sounds like the will of God? That doesn't sound healthy. Look, I want this church to grow. I don't, I don't want to just maintain and like take, I don't, I'm not here for that. I really want to, you know, you guys have been faithful for years and years and years. That's, that's good. Well done, thou faithful servant. I want to look to the fruitful part also. Faithful part in spades, got it. Trust, okay, that's your part. Trust God for the fruitful part. 
cool, but I want to co-labor with that. But in, in thinking about the fruitful part after being, having the faithful part is this. Why do we do what we do? If it's in love, cool. God could add people to a loving family. If we're doing it just to do it, and there's biting and devouring, and we've failed the grace of God, and we've got bitterness, why would people come to an unhealthy family just to be devoured and consumed? Do you see what I'm saying? So healthy families, they have people over, right? They're hospitable. They're warm. They're welcoming. They're not so critical when someone comes in with tattoos and piercings, right? (laughs) They're not so critical if they got makeup on, right? Oh, I wonder if they're a Christian they got makeup. That's a callback to what I was saying earlier, right? These peop- this church that I think God's trying to build is just one built on his love, his life. Grace given to them, grace flowing through them. They've, they're giving out how they received it. They're giving out freely what they received. But if we don't, he says, I fear that you bite and devour one another. Beware lest you be consumed by one another. 2 Corinthians, in conclusion, 2 Corinthians 12, 20, in the, in the same book of, of Corinthians, he says, in the second letter in chapter 12, verse 20, he says, but I fear lest when I come, I shall, I shall not find you as such as I wish, and that, I shall, or that you shall be found by which some of you, uh, that there be contentions and jealousies and outbursts of wrath and selfish ambitions. That's a huge one in church. Backbitings whisperings, which is gossip, busybodiness, conceits, and, tu- uh, and tumults, tumultuousness. 1 Corinthians 3.3, 3, he says, For you are still yet carnal, for where there's envy and strife and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like just mere natural people, not spiritual people? James puts it this way in chapter 3 and verse 14. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your heart, like it's, it's my way. My way is the right way. It's my way or the highway. It's, there's, no, there's no meeting in the middle. There's no benefit of the doubting one another. It's self-seeking in your hearts. He says, hey, don't boast about that and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not come from above, from God, but this wisdom is earthly, sensual, and demonic. Whoa. There's three levels of wisdom that we think is really smart, really utilitarian, and really pragmatic, and really practical, because it makes sense, because they did it in the military, they did it in my old work, they did it there, I've seen this done this way, I read it in a book, or whatever, or you just come up with it yourself, and he says, guess what? That is not from God, That is actually from the earth, and it's sensual, and it's demonic, and it bites and devours, and it tears people up. It doesn't build relationships. It actually destroys them, even though you might get your end result. James 3.16, the very next verse, he says, For wherefore envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every lying or every evil thing is there. James chapter 3, read it. Chapter 3, 14, 15, 16. And then he gives the solution. I don't have it, but verse 17 and 18, he says, but the wisdom that's from above is first peaceable, easy to be received, full of whatever, who has it? Full, what does it say? This wisdom that comes from above is easy to receive. It's James 
um, or 317. But what am I trying to say in conclusion? The Bible says this, above all put on love. The greatest of these is love. A new commandment I give unto you is love. The royal law is love. The law is fulfilled in one word, love. One word. One word. Love. Right? If you're to, if you're to say, I don't understand, I don't remember anything the preacher said. Remember this, one word, love. Yeah, I don't remember anything. I'm gonna give you. A, I'm gonna throw you. I'm gonna throw you a softball. I'm gonna throw you a little nugget you could take home with you, and it could just go with you for life. I'm gonna throw you a present, like a a gem from God. You already got it. I'm just doing this as an illustration. I'm gonna throw you the Hope Diamond. Here, Christy. Whew. Hope Diamond. You you played softball or volleyball? What was the sport you played? Neither. You could, you're athletic, so you could catch. So I'm just metaphorically throwing, and you're metaphorically... Okay, thanks. She's got the Hope Diamond. She could take the rest of her life and just angle that thing and look at that thing, and, I mean, worth millions. It's priceless, you know. And you've got something far better than a diamond. You've got the gift of God, and you could take it, and in Him is love. He's the God of all love. He's, for God is love, and you could just... You know, just be so, he is your precious. <laughs> um, so the greatest thing is love. And our greatest evangelism and outreach we could have is to be known by others by our love. That will be our greatest evangelistic message is our love. Without us personally deciding to walk in the spirit, however, we can use our liberty as an occasion to the flesh, which is selfishness. And our flesh will be self-seeking, self-serving. It will manifest in hurting one another rather than helping and loving one another. So, let's just decide. Let's be lovers of God, called and equipped to do so. It's what we're called to do. It's what we're equipped to do. It's who we are. It's our new DNA. And it's the spiritual DNA empowered by the very life of the lover himself, God. We have it. Amen? Hopefully that helps. Let's do this. Let's stand and let's be dismissed in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this wonderful church. Pray for all those that aren't here. But Lord, for those that are here, I just hope and pray that whatever was said, hopefully it was that one word, that was spoken would just really resonate. Lord, I know this academically. I just pray that it I would be something that I would just live out practically in a daily way. It's difficult, Lord. I this super difficult. I default to my flesh. It could be good looking flesh or ugly looking flesh so many times. But Lord, give us the passion and the desire. Help the love of Christ to compel us and to constrain us uh, to love you and to love others as you gave us commandment to do. And I pray that for me, for this church, for my family. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.